What if everything you're searching for is already inside of you? Hi, I'm Cassandra Goodman, and I believe that true power comes from staying connected to who we really are at our core. This is a podcast about what it means to stay true to ourselves and why authentic leadership is such tricky business. You'll hear inspiring real life stories from big hearted leaders. I hope these stories help you to remember that true power comes from within. So today on True Power, I am speaking with Baxter Holt. Baxter is a professional cricketer at Cricket New South Wales. Welcome, Baxter. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be on board. Well, I'm really excited to speak with you. I don't think I've ever had a conversation with a professional cricketer, so I've got all sorts of questions for you. (laughs) Um, So we'll share a bit more about your background. Uh, Baxter is also currently studying a Bachelor of Psychology at Swinbourne. uh, And outside of cricket, Baxter has a passion for philanthropic organizations and charities and he's currently uh, supporting the Cooper Rice Braiding Foundation and the High Impact Athlete Charitable Organization. So perhaps the first question is can you tell us more about the Cooper Rice Braiding Foundation and the High Impact Athlete um, Charitable Organizations if people haven't heard of, of either of those organizations? Yeah absolutely so the Cooper Rice Braiding Foundation um was actually set up and founded by Cooper, who unfortunately passed away probably seven years ago now. But he had sarcoma cancer, which is a really viable, um, viral, sorry, disease and cancer that attacks all your bone tissue and um, blood. And unfortunately, the main population that it impacts are children, um, which is also very horrific and eye-opening cause. So I was very fortunate. I met Cooper playing cricket and their coach came up to me the morning of the game and said, I was right. We played 12. And I said, yeah, that's not a worry at all. Play as many as you want. He goes, yeah, he's just come from his hospital bed to play cricket and then go back after the game. And I was like, excuse me? You're telling me this kid was in hospital overnight. He's coming here to play and then going back. He goes, yeah, he's on like he's six bout of chemo. And I was like, Wow. And as a cricketer, now lucky enough to be paid to play cricket, most days you turn up to work and go, oh, God, do I really want to be here today doing this? And then it was a very great perspective shifter and eye-opener for me to go, well, this kid literally is on his deathbed, but he wants to play the sport that I'm so fortunate enough to be paid to play. So that definitely opened my eyes. That, And I was lucky enough to be on board as an ambassador for them. And then the High Impact Athletes organisation got in touch with me a few months ago and I was lucky enough to join up with them. So they're a bunch of high athletes um, set up by Hugo Inglis, who is a New Zealand hockey player, and then Marcus, who's a New Zealand tennis player. So a couple of Olympians. So I'm well out of my depth in that organisation. But there's a few people there and the point for them is they've got a governing body that um, decides which charities they can put money into and this is all worldwide. So how much money have the charity already got? where it's actually going to. So they make sure that every dollar that you donate is actually going to that charity. Right. Great. Oh, two very worthwhile causes there. So Baxter, maybe I can ask you for for the listeners who are like, hmm, I wonder what the day in a life of a professional cricketer even looks like. Can you give us a glimpse? What is a typical day in the life of for, for you? Yeah, today's a bit different. Today's a good one. I had a um, did some batting at 8am this morning till 
nine fifteen, so that was an hour and fifteen, which is good. I got this podcast now and then straight after this, I got a media shoot where we're doing some content filming for a few sponsors. Then after that, I'll go do some coaching at my old school where I'll coach for a couple of hours to try and give back a bit. And then tomorrow, for example, I'll have gym for an hour. Then we'll do a running session for an hour and then we'll do a massive skills session. So that goes for about three hours. So how many hours a week of actual training, like training for cricket, whether it's at the gym or batting or how many hours a week does does it take for you to stay at the top of your game? Uh, yeah, a fair few. It's not your nine to five job. Um, <laughs> there's a bit of flexibility there, which is good. But yeah, it's still at least four or five hours a day, pure training. And then on top of that, you've got all your mental stuff. So whether it's seeing psychs, whether it's doing analysis work, um, and then just always trying to find ways that you can improve and better yourself because at the end of the day, it is a contract um, society. So if you're not at the best of your game, you might not have your job next year. Mm. I think for us mere mortals who maybe will never be professional athletes, it's um, it just feels like another world to have your performance under that sort of level of scrutiny, scrutiny, and knowing um what's at stake if your performance was to dip. So maybe I can ask you in terms of like the mental load of that, what sort of support do you get from Cricket New South Wales, and how how do you think about your performance and I suppose how do you keep a sense of lightness and play about it all when there's maybe so much at stake? Yeah, it's pretty tough. There's a good quote that someone told me a long time ago, the highs are high, the lows are lows. There's not much in between with professional sport, um, definitely speaking from a cricketing term. Uh, you can go out there, you can get out first ball and you've done absolutely nothing wrong and you walk off going, God, I've got to sit here now for the rest of the day and thinking where else I could rather be. And then on the flip side, you could do the best performance of your life and go, how good is this? I'll come back again tomorrow. And you love it. And that roller coaster that you're forever on is one of the greatest teachers and um, it allows you to learn so much about you, your teammates and everything about life. I feel like I'm only 24, but I feel like I'm matured a lot quicker than what some of my friends from school have, um, which is just the reality of the workspace I'm in, which has been really enjoyable. But then to answer your question, we have a lot of support, um, which is great. We've got about six to 10 um, physical coaches, so that's batting, bowling, head coach. But then we've also got your mental. So we've got a psych and then we've got a range of different facilities that we can tap in board with. Mm. So on those days where you do have, you know, some bad luck and you find yourself sitting on the bench for, for hours at end thinking, well, what, what sort of tools do you draw on in those moments in order to stay positive? Yeah, I'm really lucky that through the charitable work that I do, um, I do a lot of hospital visits. So I go in to see um, children who aren't having their best day. And when I think my worst day um, is what it is, it brings a lot of light to it that I'm actually not in a hospital bed counting down days or got tubes coming over me. I'm actually outside in the sun, um, getting a nice tan some days, sometimes sunburn, but depends up to the sun. And then other than that, you're spending time with mates, um, which in many workplaces is a pretty good place to be. Yeah. It's so important, isn't it, these relationships and these mates and, I mean, I can just sense in you still the sense of lightness and uh, I suppose gratitude and joy in 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 the actual sport itself. And can you imagine that carrying on? Like how how what is the average working span for a professional cricketer? Like what what do you see in the future for for the sport and, and for your involvement in it? 
Yeah, the average retirement for someone in my position is probably 35. So realistically, I've probably got 11 years left, um, which is not long when you think about it. And I've still probably got another what, 35 years after that to find another job and continue down a career path. Um, so 11 years of a lot of time in gyms and cricket facilities, uh, but hopefully I do well enough that it gives me earlier retirement. Brilliant. And so then tell us about the psychology degree that you're doing. What what um what led you to 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 start your psychology psychology degree and um, tell us about the role that that degree plays in your performance and and in who you are. Yes, yeah, so it's my third degree I started in about since I left school 7 years ago now. The first one I did was a sport and exercise management degree and I walked into a lecture and they said, "Oh, athletes are paid in contracts." And I sort of was like, "Well, oh, I don't really need to be here because I don't feel like I'm learning and getting much out of it. So uh, I withdrew from that um, degree and then I went into counselling. Um, but between that period, I think it's probably important to know, I missed a year of cricket because my back gave up on me. Um, I couldn't keep playing cricket. I had about 18 months there where I was um, going through a fair bit of pain but didn't tell anyone and was just hiding um, what I was going through until one day where I had to call it quits and then, through that journey, I actually discovered that I find a lot more joy out of myself if I'm helping other people than what I do, achieving what I've achieved. So then I went down the counselling path and then just due to um, scheduling and all that, I had to withdraw from that. And now I found psychology at Swinburne Online, which has been really good for me. Right. And so so maybe I'll ask about that that um, experience you had with your back. Um because you, you're still so young and fit. So when you hear people's back kind of giving up on them, you think about perhaps someone at the latter stages of life. So what, what was going on there? Yeah, so I've got a, I still do have the bulging disc. So I've got a bulging disc that compresses a nerve. So after long days in the field or doing different exercises, all my muscles tighten up as well. So I get a lot of sciatica pain down your legs. So for people that don't really know about that, if you sit down for too long and you have the sensation of pins and needles go down your leg, I was living with that for about 24 hours a day, seven days a week um, for about 18 months. And so to negate that pain, I was on about six painkillers a day um, just to try and get through. And then as the life of a professional athlete, if you take some time off, you give someone else an opportunity to take your job. So I went for as long as I possibly could. Um, during that stage, I'd get to sleep at about 1 a.m. Um, and then I'd be up every 45 minutes just tossing and turning in pain. Um, so it definitely wasn't a great time of my life um there's a lot of sleepless nights both mentally and physically on that sort of roller coaster and then it was the 29th of October 2019 where I was actually playing Pakistan in a Creed Australia game and I got out of a squat and I went into another squat and I couldn't get out of that one and I walked off the field after that day and the doctor said oh you're not okay, are you, Baxter? And it was the, sort of the first time in 18 months where, one, I was exhausted and couldn't hide it anymore. And I said, no, I'm not anymore. And he goes, oh, what's happening? And I actually told him the truth. He goes, how have you been doing this for so long? I said, well, it's my job. The normals that are normal, that you turn up every day, you feel good in your body, you've had a good night's sleep, they're long gone. The new normal is I've got about two and a half hours of sleep, can't really do anything without pain um my shoes i just slip on because it's too hard to tie laces up um, and i get by 
I get painkillers, strapping tape, whatever I need to do to get through the day. And then I turn up the next day and do it again. And then sort of from that day, we spoke to a few different people and I had about four or five months off, which was a full cricket season and really worked on fixing my body, um, getting to the stage where it is now, which I can manage and get through things a lot easier without pain. And a lot of work went into the mental side of it because when you take cricket away from me at that stage, I didn't feel like I had a whole lot to offer. Um, so it was definitely part of my life where I've learned the most about myself, but also that I'm actually a human first that can play cricket, not a cricketer that is a human some days of the week. Mm. I mean, that's so powerful. Right? I'm a human that, that plays cricket. I mean, but a lot of people who listen to this podcast are leaders in business. And I think, um, this challenge where we can a- attach our whole self-worth to some form of identity, whether that's being an athlete or uh, a senior executive or some other role or title that we um, over time attach our self-worth to. So it, it was at the time, because I know that you've thought about this question, Baxter, and about a time when you realised that you weren't being true to yourself um, and as you think about the answer to that question as it relates to your life, does this period in, in your life come to mind or is it another story that that's um, that was a time when you weren't being true to yourself? That's definitely the first story and probably the most sort of not life-changing but altering in characteristics that I went through that comes to mind. But also there's days in the week where I turn up to training, you got the likes of some of the greatest Australian cricketers to ever turn up like Nathan Mine trains most days with us, Steve Smith there, David Warner. So all these high-profile athletes that are the best of the best um, turn up to training and they start talking to you and you're like, well, what have I got to offer? Like I'm this young 24-year-old just trying to make it in this sport and here are the best in the world um, trying to talk. So there's days like that where you're like, oh, which part of or which um, example of Bax is going to turn up today? Is it going to be this insecure and sort of humble cricketer or am I going to try and be a bit more out there or am I going to try and be a bit this way am I going to ask questions am I not so you sort of go through that roller coaster of emotions most days but you find when you actually do turn up as yourself it's so much more freeing and you don't have to hide or try and make anything up you're just you Mm. it's so powerful right and I really can relate to that pressure of I mean, it's nothing like the pressure you're, you experience as a as a paid professional athlete, but certainly as, you know, a leadership coach, there's certainly been moments when I've been vulnerable with people and, and shared my own struggles and people are like, you know, Cassie, that you can't talk to yourself like that. Like that's, you know, it's, it's like incongruent with this facade that we feel like we have to keep up to the world that we've got all our shit together all the time and there's no vulnerability and where these high performance whatever's. And sometimes that's just not true, right? Like inner experience is something different to that. So, so I love that at the at the age of twenty four, you're already able to understand this power that comes and the freedom, as you say, that comes from just being ourselves. Yeah. So, so when you're talking to these, you know, high profile um, global athletes. Now, given what you know about yourself, what what sort of Baxter can show up in those conversations and um, what have you figured out perhaps about the different parts of yourself that that can show up in in conversations when the stakes are high? 
Yeah, I feel like when I turn up as me, it's a lot more enjoyable because you're not so stressed on every word that comes out of your mouth, every action that you're doing. For a long period of my life there, before I did anything, whether it was an action, I said anything, I would go through it over and over in my head going, well, if I say this, how will it impact, and impact that person? If I do this, how will they see it? And I always lived under this complete sort of worry of what other people thought, um, which keep in mind I still do today because I'm a perfectionist and I want to be the best of and not sort of put a burden, um, which I went through a lot of my life trying to avoid being. And you actually end up putting more pain and suffering on yourself trying to be X person for X person and then be this person for that person and do certain things. At the end of the day, you forget who you actually are. Um, so a lot, a lot of that time when my back gave up, I had a lot of time to reflect on who I wanted to be as a person. And now turning up, I am me. And so much more freeing. You have so much more energy out of it because you're not constantly worrying about things that don't matter. Um, and there was a great quote that I heard one time that uh, those that mind don't matter and those that matter don't mind. Mm. Uh, sort of put a lot of things in perspective, which is good. Mm, that's a really good one. And so then how would you describe, you know, who you are at your core? You know, I love that um, you're now able to show up more authentically, more as yourself, even when you're meeting with some some of these best cricketers in the world. Right? So who who... Who are you at your core then? What have you figured out about yeah, who Baxter really is then? Yeah, I'm a humble person that cares how people actually are and not sort of, we live in Australia, so it's always easy you walk past. Oh, how are you, mate? Are you getting well? Uh, yeah, fine, no worries. Oh, perfect. That's good to see you. Um, where now I actually ask a follow-up question going, well, how are you really going? And you see their face just drop and they're like, oh, um yeah, I'm okay, family's going pretty well. And you actually are able to drop that first barrier of people's emotions and they actually have a human conversation with you, which is so much more fulfilling. And you see your relationships with people get so much stronger. Um, so I'd say I'm a humble, caring person that likes to give back to a lot of other people. Mm, I love that. I love that question of how you're going really because often we – use that question how you going almost as a proxy for hello we don't even stop to listen to the answer exactly so I love that and so perhaps if there's people listening who feel like oh gosh perhaps I have kind of attached my self-worth in in some way to this specific role you know you talked about in that time where you had to take the season off because of your back um that you realize that you're a human first and you're a human that that plays cricket really well not not a cricketer first but a human first so for those who are listening who feel like oh gosh if I wasn't the CEO or the chief marketing officer or this or that then gosh who the heck am I what words of advice or wisdom might you share for people who want to have the clarity that you have about who they really are at their core and their the value of, of them as a unique human being first and foremost? The daunting question, isn't it? Mm. Um, <laughs> it's a really daunting question for someone that hasn't had that. I suppose I found out the hard way. Cricket was taken away from me for six months there and I literally had nothing else to do. And it was actually refreshing because I had to do it. Um, but I always say, what would you want to do if you didn't have the job you are now? Mm. What makes you truly happy? Is it your family? Is it your friends? 
Is it playing around a golf? Is it playing your social sport on a weekend? Or is it truly what you're doing? And then why? Someone told me a long time ago, if you know your why to do anything, you're the most powerful person in the room. Because mm. on the days where you don't want to turn up, you still do turn up because of that reason. And that isn't usually because you're CEO of a company or you're the best creator in the world. It's because what that gives you. Um, my why, for example, is to inspire the next generation to do what they'd love to do, but continuing to care at the same time. And I think that second sentence is probably the most important out of all that. Mm. The world is challenging. It is very hard. Um, but the answer to your question is, yeah, find what makes you tick and find why you keep turning up every day to work because there is a reason because most people that work nine to five, they turn up Monday through Friday to do the same job. Um, so there's definitely something there if you look hard enough. Mm. It's so true. And my son, he's nine, and he asked me randomly a few weeks ago, he said, Mom, if you won $600 million, random amount, I don't know where you got the amount, if you won $600 million, what would you change? And, you know, I really thought a lot, I actually spent the whole weekend thinking about that question. And back to your point, Baxter, about the why and why I do the work I do, which is really about helping people to activate more of their innate potential because I believe most of us are just skimming the surface of our potential. Like when I really thought about if I had all the money that I needed, I think I'd still do most of the work I do. There's some aspects of my work that I, I you know, I won't say which aspects in case certain people are listening, but um, there's some things I, I would say no to because they, I don't think they're fully aligned with that purpose, but, you know, I need them to pay the mortgage. Um, but, yeah, I think when we, when we understand our why and the reason behind it, even if we had all the time and the money in the world, we would still do those things, wouldn't we? It's it's not just about, you know, for me being an author or being a coach or being a, whatever you want to call me. It's really that the the impact and the value we create in the world because not just of what we do, but who we're being while while we do it and this passion that we bring to our work. Yeah, exactly right. And it's fulfilling and it gives you a sense of pride and honor in what you do. Um, and it's challenging. As humans, we love a challenge. If I didn't play cricket, I'd play golf because it's also challenging. I don't know why I picked the two hardest sports in the world to play, but I do. Um, purely because I always have to strive towards. I can never perfect or master the sports and I can't master anything, but I can keep trying to get better and better every day. And that's a challenge that I really enjoy doing. Mm, that's fascinating. I love that. And that could be said of most things, right? Most things you can never perfect. No. Nah. Most things were just the best we can hope for is moving towards a greater level of mastery, a greater level of self-awareness, a greater level of impact, a greater level of kind of congruence between how we show up and who we really are. But I love that, that moving towards better performance rather than this idea of perfecting. Because mm, perfectionism is so pervasive. Like, do you see that in the world of cricket? Have you seen players perhaps who haven't been successful over the long term because of a tendency towards perfectionism and all the the harsh self criticism that can come with that? Oh yeah, I I was one. I was my hardest critic for a long time. I am still a perfectionist, but not anywhere near to what I was three four years ago. Um, 
suppose the biggest thing with perfectionist is it's such a daunting and grueling way to live because you're always trying to perfect everything. And as soon as you get something slightly wrong, it's detrimental. And then you start the avalanche in your head going, why can't I do that? I should be better. I should be doing these things. Um, and when I was a cricketer first, it was, is it really worth doing this job? Should you be here? Um, imposter syndrome and things like that poke up. And then it's sort of when you change the word perfection to excellence, it gives you the freedom to fail and make mistakes. And that part is so freeing because you're like, well, I am human. I'm not a robot. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. I actually make more mistakes than I don't make. So when you sort of flip that on a knife edge to say, I'm learning every time I fail, then the perfectionist in you sort of decreases. But then on the flip side, I won't be where I am today without being perfectionist. Mm. So it's important to find that balance and sort of which side you live on, but also giving yourself some freedom every now and then to look back and go, well, I've actually achieved a fair bit. Mm. I love that. And when I kind of bring an IFS in internal family systems lens to what you figured out about yourself, it makes me think that you've got this perfectionistic part of you that will always be part of you, but you kind of helped it find a more sustainable, healthy role, which is the, the excellence. Um, and the model would say that, you know, we've got to embrace all of our parts and all of our parts need to feel welcomed by us. You know, we don't want to suppress or hate the, the perfectionistic parts of us. We want to embrace them too, but we also want to help to soften them slightly. And I think that's a beautiful softening of a part that feels they need to be perfect to be enough, a softening into, well, let's just strive for excellence because excellence has continual growth and learning and it, it, it's more realistic, right? I, I think that's a beautiful kind of um, leading of a perfectionistic part and a helping that part of you perhaps find a more uh, healthy, sustainable role in your inner team, so to speak. Yeah, exactly right. The way I look at perfection in my industry, I can do everything to perfection. I can go out there, have done all the preparation, and the bowler just bowls the best ball of his life. I nick one, I'm out. And there's nothing I can do. It's like in business, you can do everything you want to secure a deal and for some unknown reason, it falls through. It's got nothing to do with you or how you've turned up. But if you're so focused on the outcome and the perfection of it, you're still going to go to bed every night going, well, what could I have done better? And sometimes you just can't do anything better. Um, mm. the way it is. So that sort of frame mind going, well, I did everything that possibly I could. So unfortunately, it's just up to other people to make decisions and that's just the way it is. And that sort of just eases everything a bit. Yeah, I think that's a healthy perspective, right? Because I, you know, having coached so many leaders, I the, the alternative perspective is to your point, this kind of beating oneself up, ruminating, going over and over and over and over. What could I have done differently? How could I have preempted that ball spinning that particular way? Or, you know, how could I have, avoided this situation there was some failing in me um, and that can be so excruciating you know I've seen people spend six months um, kind of in a bit of a, a tailspin around that that trying to figure out what how could I've seen that coming what mistake did I make and to your point like sometimes it's actually got nothing at all to do with us and having that perspective I think can really lighten what can be a very heavy load for people to carry yeah, absolutely. And then that's also after you've 
done a bit of analysis work on yourself and had the honest conversation going, did I actually do anything wrong here? And if your answer at the end of the day is, no, I've done nothing wrong, then great. That's all you can mm. ask yourself. <laughs> I love it. I, I, you bring such a clear, light, healthy perspective on things. I think it's really refreshing and fabulous. So perhaps one last question then, Baxter. If there's people who are listening thinking, gosh, I know what Baxter's saying. Cognitively, I get it that I'm a human first and an executive second, but yet I feel like somehow I've attached a lot of my self-worth to this role or this title. Um, Any final words of wisdom that you can share for people to get started on on this work of kind of decoupling our sense of self-worth to these titles and these roles that we have? Yeah, I'm a big quotes person. I love quotes. Um, it's just a way that I relate to different things. And there's a couple that I try and live by each day. And we're all ordinary people doing extraordinary things um, is one of them. We're all, we all get up the same way in the morning. We all do certain things in the morning and we turn up to work. Um, what I'm really good at is different to what you're really good at and what different to my next door neighbor is really good at. But we've all got different things that work for us and we pursue it every day then also be brave enough to be yourself um, and what version of yourself and where you are on that journey of finding yourself, it doesn't matter. Just be brave enough to turn up, keep doing what you're doing and keep enjoying the ride because there are going to be some dark days. I have more dark days than good days. We all do. We're humans, but it's what actually allows us to enjoy those really good ones and spend them with the people that we really care about and do the things that we find a lot of joy and fulfillment in. Um, and then the other thing is listen to understand not to be understood um, from a human side of things to a business side of things how many times have you actually asked someone a question and then zoned off halfway through their answer or how many times you ask someone the question and halfway through you go oh what's the next question I'm going to ask him or I'm going to do this and then on the flip side whenever you ask them a question actually listen to what they've had to say and you'll find that the next question comes a lot quicker and actually the person you're talking to drops everything and actually gives you the time of day. Um, so they're my three massive live-by quotes that I try to live by. And at the end of the day, keep enjoying being who you are and doing what you do. I love it, Baxter. Thank you so much. I'm sure so many listeners are going to really um, think about those pearls of wisdom that you shared today It's been so lovely speaking with you. Best of luck for your media interview this afternoon and for the training and um, for what I'm sure will be a long and successful career. Thank you so much for spending the time with me today. My absolute pleasure and thank you for what you're doing as well. Thanks, Baxter. By being true to our deepest selves, we liberate our highest potential and serve the greatest good. As the founder of the Center for Self-Fidelity, I am on a mission to help leaders feel more authentically empowered so we can co-create workspaces where people can thrive, perform, play and belong. Learn more at selffidelity.com.